Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayer. Now, in this uh, second episode of the 2022-23 European season, Kartik, let's, let's start off by talking about uh, whip-around shows. Uh, not every league has one. Um, and I think it, in this day and age, with so much soccer on television... Uh, I, I think Major League Soccer and Apple in their deal for next year, for 2023 and the next 10 years, uh, that makes a lot of sense to have a whip around show that's going to show you, show you the best action from Wednesday nights or Saturday nights so you don't miss much. Um, what about the other leagues? I mean, like, uh, you mean, so we look at some of the other leagues, right? Uh, there's nothing for Serie A. Uh, I know the Bundesliga in Germany for Sky Germany, I think it is, maybe, or is it own. They they have one of their own, but we don't have access to that. So the Bundesliga doesn't have it. Uh, La Liga doesn't have it. So you're, you're down to pretty much, what, Europa League and Champions League and the Premier League. I think that's that's about it, right? Yeah, in terms of uh, shows we get here and then Goal Rush, uh, obviously for the Premier League. But I have some critiques about that after this uh, this week. And thank you to Peacock for bringing it to us. Uh, but now I'm seeing some things that... Maybe I hadn't noticed in the past. Well, let's talk about some of the positives on that one too. So the Peacock uh, Goal Rush, you mean we? For those of the of us who have been watching it over the years, you mean it, it's very. Um, we depend on it a, a lot, especially when there's a bunch of games happening at once. Uh, this past sat- Saturday, there were five games at once, and then uh, this season, halftime, we're getting the the Premier League Productions uh, studio. So I think this past Saturday was. Uh, it was uh, Darren Bent and Shea Given, uh, the two analysts. That was good. Um, but what about the actual uh, Gold Rush itself? Yeah, so one of the things that I'm concerned about with Gold Rush, quite honestly, is that uh, they only show goals, right? And maybe some controversial incidents in matches. So it's not like they're going from match to match and checking in on them uh, at various times, like the Golazzo show on CBS. What I think is actually happening is they're focusing on one match. And in this case, it was Manchester City-Bournemouth, which was the same exact match NBCSN was showing. That's not the fault of anyone uh, because uh, neither network knew uh, the other was showing that specifically. But what you end up getting then, Chris, is a situation where 
Um, you're seeing uh, the same matches you're seeing on, uh, sorry, I said NBCSN, <laughs> old habit, uh, as you're seeing on USA. And, and then you're not seeing key moments from other matches until there's a goal. And it's, it's after the goal they'll show the goal. So I ended up after about 30 or 35 minutes pulling out a goal zone uh, or goal, uh, goal rush this weekend and then focusing on each individual match. Peacock does not have the, 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 uh, the multicast feature that ESPN Plus has. So you end up entering streams and exiting streams and then finally halftime bringing multiple devices to where uh, I then did have Arsenal Leicester on one screen. I had uh, a lead Southampton on another. I had the uh, the USA game on the TV, uh, Man City Bournemouth, and then also um, an additional uh, iPad so that I could flip back and forth between uh, Brighton, Newcastle, and uh, and Wolves Fulham. Wolves Fulham actually was quite an entertaining match for a nil-nil. Yeah, it's a good problem to have in terms of having Goal Rush. And, and it's not perfect by any means. Like, like you said, too, it does stay with that one featured match really, really long. Uh, it only pretty much goes to other games if there's been a goal scored. Uh, and even then, it's not like right the minutes that goal is scored. It's sometimes a few minutes later. But overall, I still enjoy that experience, though, because if I don't have out of those five games, if if there's not one that really is my, you mean, that I have to watch, uh, I'll watch Goal Rush. And like you, talk, Kartik, I'll, I'll jump around sometimes if if a game starts to become more appealing. I think with this one, with the Leeds um, Southampton game, I went ahead and uh, put that on a, on a different screen. So I had, I think, three different screens going watching matches. But I think it is something, though, that is a huge benefit to the Premier League and a disadvantage to some of these other leagues. I mean, the Bundesliga is one example, which I think would be perfect for for a whip around show. I mean, we have the um, multicast with uh, ESPN Plus if you use an Apple TV uh, device. But that's uh, four games at once. And, and we know from Germany, too, usually that 9.30 uh, a.m. Eastern kickoff time, that that can be like several matches, right? And then, I mean, so there's a large number. But I think... I think at this point, I mean, in terms of if you're a league and you're broadcasting uh, globally and you're a major league and you have intentions of growing that league, what about the French league? I mean, the French league would be one that would benefit. Uh, actually, l- l- let me take a step back there, Kartik, because some leagues are not set up to benefit from having whip around shows. La Liga staggers their kickoffs. So there's not a lot of games happening at the same time. Uh, I think the French league does the same thing too. Serie A does the same thing for for the most part. So the Bundesliga is probably the only other league where it, it makes sense to have that. It makes a ton of sense in the Bundesliga, though, because uh, the 9.30 Eastern time kickoff, uh, 3.30 Central European time, you have as many as some weekends, seven matches going on at that time. Or I guess maybe it would be six maximum. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, well, but no, not seven. But you, you might have as many as six. So uh, what you're missing out on are uh that 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 whip around particularly if you don't have an apple tv with espn plus and the the reality is chris the bundesliga has more goals and you could argue more bad defending but more goals also than any of these other leagues in europe right uh you you are guaranteed almost on some bundesliga match day on a saturday 3 30 kickoff central european time to have some sort of match where there's six goals, five goals, six goals in them. So I really think that, and and we used to get something called the conference. Was that what it was called? 
the yeah, um, that's right the the Bundesliga conference uh, that that uh, maybe it was on pirated streams, but I, I'm thinking 15 years back. But I used to watch that, and uh, I think that that's something that uh, would be great for the American audience again. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think it's st- they still have it, and I think that's what their multi kind of uh, goal rush type of show is. Uh, yeah, in many ways too, they've had it for a lot longer than uh, the Premier League's had goal rush. However, if you live in the United States legally, you can't access that. But I, I really do feel that the the Bundesliga could benefit from that. We're going to get into in, in a few minutes uh, talking about uh, these big Premier League matches from the weekends. There were some really <laughs> juicy matches, uh, to say the least, Kartik. But I, I do want to talk a little bit about the, the Premier League competing against these other leagues. And for example, for myself, um, I mean, I, I love all soccer. I, I'll watch any soccer. Uh, some leagues and, and clubs are better than others, but at the heart of it i love soccer however there's only so many hours in the day and and from this past saturday just as one example i watched seven hours consecutively of the premier league so from seven thirty in the morning all the way through till two thirty in the afternoon that's seven hours and then on sunday you mean uh, it was four and a half hours so it was from like nine o'clock till one thirty. and there's only so much soccer you can watch now in the background i had the bundesliga games on so i was watching that but however, the Premier League this season in particular is so compelling that I think in many ways it's by the time you finish watching a bunch of the games, you're start, starting to feel burnt out. There's a lot more things to do kind of in terms of life or family or just getting outside. And that's the thing, though, too. I think the Bundesliga, Serie A, La Liga, Major League Soccer, I think you mean, are getting hurt by this because the Premier League is, is so pervasive. What do you think? I completely agree. I mean, we're recording this on Sunday, and my intention was to flip over to the Bayern Wolfsburg match um, at the end of uh, the Chelsea uh, uh, Spurs match. I was burnt out, and obviously that match, the way it ended, uh, and you have uh, volatile personalities like Conte and and Tuchel going at each other. I was burnt out. I didn't flip to the Bayern match, and and uh, didn't watch the Serie A matches. Right? I mean, I I, I still have on my DVR. The, both uh, the AC Milan match and the Inter match from uh, Saturday will admit as we record this, I have not watched them yet. They are on my DVR. I will watch them during the course of the week. I had intended to watch uh, a couple of Bundesliga matches on uh, Saturday, never got around to it. Uh, I did watch a good chunk of the Bundesliga match on Friday because there was no Premier League match on and I was watching Burnley-Watford at the same time. So, uh, that was a match that I could watch at the same time as watching a Bundesliga match. But it's tough, Chris. The burnout is real. I mean, at 1.30 uh, Eastern time today, I'm burnt out. I'm kind of, um, I- I'm done with watching football for the day. And in addition, I'm so uh, revved up by that match that I want to talk about football, specifically that match and that league for the rest of the day. So um, it- it's a problem on twofold, right? You're burnt out in one in one sense, um, from watching football. But on the other sense, you're so captivated by what's gone on, you want to talk about that for the rest of the day and not go and watch uh, uh, La Liga or, or, or Serie A. Yeah, you're, bur- you're burnt out on good football. And that's the thing, though, Kartik, is that uh, I think pretty much opening weekend and this weekend have been really captivating. And for me personally, I think as the season goes on, there will be times where there's there's a boring match on or there's a match that just maybe maybe it's postponed at the last minute because of weather or um, it's two teams I'm not interested in in the Premier League. 
the first league I will turn to is the Bundesliga. You I mean that 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 for me is kind of my go-to move, partly because they're, they're playing at the same time, roughly anyway. Um, and every time I watch the Bundesliga, I'm entertained. However, you I mean you have to set priorities in terms of what you're watching, and I think right now, in terms of the level of football, but also the storylines that's happening in the Premier League, it it's it is a must-watch. And there was something that um, Rebecca Lowe said on Sunday. And she said, um, how could you not watch Premier League football? And it's uh, an interesting question because it's true. If, if you're a soccer fan, you, you mean, yes, you have your favorite team, your favorite league, and, and, and you mean, any favorite country, um, and you're attached to those. But it's right now hard not to watch the Premier League. And, and I think in terms of social media, Twitter especially, I'm seeing a lot more conversations among U.S. soccer reporters and journalists about the games in the Premier League, Well, where in the past they pretty much ignored it and tried to focus on the MLS games later that day or, or the Bundesliga games or something. But they're, they're as captivated as we are, I think, in this. I think this goes back to, um, and again, there's stereotypes out there, and a lot of people are, resort, resort, are resorting to old tropes with uh, conversations the last few weeks that I've kind of been drawn into about how they, they play one way in England and they, you know there's all this uh, negative football. The thing that makes the Premier League so captivating now is the tactical variation. You have the top managers there. There are a couple of top managers that are still outside the Premier League, but the majority of really high-end managers in the world now are in the Premier League. And that's, I'm not saying they have more than other leagues. I'm saying they have the majority of them. That That's saying something. And um, you're looking at a situation where every match takes on a different complexion because of the type of managers you have in the league. And that's something that, from my standpoint, as someone who's into tactics and into strategy, is very important. In addition, if you're just a football fan, um, you have different types, you have different styles of play that go with that, right? So again, the old stereotype. Oh, in, in, in England, the teams either just play long ball and lump it forward to a big number nine, or they, they whip in crosses from wide areas. There are still some teams that play that second style, but there's no one playing that first style, and there are four or five, six more identifiable styles of play uh, that you see. And then uh, I, I think about, uh, sorry to do this to you, Chris, but I, I think about um, two of your former managers, um, Graham Potter at Swansea, Graham Potter and Steve Cooper setting a standard. They are not going to be sitting uh, and, and absorbing pressure like teams at the bottom end of the table typically do with their teams now, Brighton and, uh, and, and Forest. We've seen Brighton build, build, build the last couple seasons. And uh, today, Forest, I know you want to get to that match in a minute. We'll get more into the match in a minute. But so captivating from a viewership standpoint, we can get into all the, the tradition in a few minutes. But from the stylistic, tactical point of view, Steve Cooper is not a manager who's going to say, okay, we got our goal, let's let's pack it in, let's absorb pressure, let's try and uh, sit eight guys behind the ball and, and, and see out this result. That makes the Premier League really captivating when you have newly promoted teams playing that way. Yeah, it, it is really entertaining. Now, now, going to the Battle of the Bridge, Kartik, uh, you mentioned the Chelsea Spurs game. That's a game that you could talk about all day. Just as an aside, first of all, uh, are you on uh, Team Tuchel or Team Conte based on the two skirmishes that happened in this game? Do you feel kind of uh, one side was kind of uh, more right than the others, perhaps, to get into this tussle? Yeah, I guess I'm more on Team Tuchel from that perspective. Um, I think Conte... Uh, uh, was a little too aggressive after the first Spurs 
Spurs goal and got in his face. And I think uh, also Tuchel kind of won me over in his post-match comments, basically like, that's done. It's two intense personalities, big derby match. Uh, it's football. Uh, whereas Conte, Conte didn't want to talk about it, but Conte was like, there's no problem, great football. But he was less... Uh, Tuchel was just kind of laughing off the incident, but but either way, this is this is why we watch, right? The personalities, and this is something we talked about a couple seasons ago, Chris, that the Premier League had gotten into this mode as they were losing star players, because at the time Ronaldo was in, in Serie A and and uh, Mbappe, Neymar, these guys are in Liga, and, and and Messi was in 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 La Liga, and you even had guys like Zlatan and and other big names coming to, to Major League Soccer, that the Premier League had gotten into this dip with stars, right? They had two guys who were identifiable top 10 players in the world, De Bruyne, De Bruyne and Salah, and otherwise, no. So they got into this mode of promoting coaches and coaching showdowns. And I think now that we've come out the other end, where the Premier League now has, has ascended into this kind of supremacy uh, on the pitch, marketing and promoting the managers was a great strategic move um, by uh, Sky, by NBC, by the Premier League. And now part of the reason we watch is because of those managerial battles. And as I said earlier, a lot of it is tactical. I mean, you saw it today between Tuchel and, and Conte. They're going mano y mano with, with, with changes and with, with tactical setup. And then the passion of these managers. These are the top managers uh, in the world. There's a reason why they're at the very top of the, of the sport. There's a reason why Pep and Klopp are at the very top. Obviously, there there's a lot of mutual respect between those two. But as Pep will repeatedly say, Chris, uh, I- I'm getting better because I have to beat Jurgen Klopp. It's not I'm getting better because I'm pushing myself, although he is he does push himself. But it's also I'm getting better because if I don't, if I let off, I'm competing with Jurgen Klopp. I'm not competing with some r- random manager and he will beat me. So, um, so much of the Premier League's uh, com- compelling nature now, Chris, is about the managers. And it, and that's great. Yeah, for the record, I'm on uh, Team Conte. I thought that uh, Tuchel was overly aggressive, uh, overly confrontational. And especially the handshake at the end, it seemed that Tuchel was trying to pick a fight. He was trying to get in uh, Conte's face. Uh, but the, the game itself was, uh, I, I think in many ways, I mean... Spurs are very lucky to get a draw out of this game. I thought that Chelsea dominated large parts of the match, especially in the first half. And both of those goals from Spurs, even if it was a different referee, uh, quite, quite possibly could have been called back for both of those from fouls that happened in the, the minutes preceding uh, those goals. What do you think? Uh, I, I, I don't want to uh, uh, make it all about uh, about Taylor. Uh, the center ref. I do think uh, we have uh, uh, lines uh, people, ARs, and uh, and uh, VAR. That also, it's not just about Anthony Taylor. Yes, I think the officiating was poor. Now I caution again. Historically, these things even out over the course of the season. There will be some match in. Uh, 12 weeks where Spurs uh, will feel wronged and everybody will say, oh, poor Spurs, you know, they should have had a penalty here and there was this dodgy call that went against them there and then Chelsea will get some fortunate calls somewhere. So I think this will even out. But yes, I do feel like Chelsea definitely can feel hard done. Obviously, the foul, uh, Bettencourt fouled Havertz, no question about that. Uh, Bettencourt and Hoiber were flying into challenges, by the way. I think that there was a little leniency. Maybe that is on Anthony Taylor, that part, towards those two guys in central midfield for Spurs the entire match. Um, And then, obviously, 
in my view of offside, Richarlson was interfering with the play and he was offside uh, on Hoy Bear's goal. I understand the interpretation has changed in the last few years. So I understand why Anthony Taylor and then VAR said, okay, good goal. But I don't like that cha- that rule change, that interpretation change. That's a personal thing. Then the second one, obviously, the hair pull. I think uh, uh, Romero is going to get suspended uh, in hindsight. But the, the bottom line rem- remains this, Chris. Chelsea has been burnt by Perisic before when he played for Bayern um, as a set-piece taker. And um, you keep giving them set-piece opportunities late in a match with Perisic's golden foot, you're going to get burnt. And and uh, Perisic's first corner didn't beat the first guy, right, uh, when he first came on. But then after that, beautiful free kick and then three really good corners. And uh, chances are you get four set pieces like that uh, in the last 10 minutes of a match, you're going you're gonna to connect with one of them and score. So uh, that's on Chelsea, that part. Yeah, I was really impressed by uh, Cucurella for, for Chelsea, speaking of Romero and the hair pull there. But but even the, just the first goal by Chelsea, the, the corner kick by Cucurella and then the uh, the beautiful volley uh, by uh, Koulibaly. But uh, the other thing about this, Kartik, is do you think that in some ways uh, Raheem Sterling moving to Chelsea uh, has changed the pecking order for uh, Pulisic? Uh, yeah, oh, certainly. There's no question about that. Uh, and then I think also uh, Kukurea coming in means that uh, Pulisic uh, may not be as needed on that left side because I think um, you, you've got a situation now where you can platoon Kukurea and Chilwell. Uh, Chilwell is such a brilliant player when he's fit both for Leicester and for Chelsea, but he has had injury problems. So that's... Uh, that's a big factor, but I'd say a bigger factor, Chris, now is probably uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek being tried as a right wing back and coming across, coming, uh, uh, coming through very well in a tough match. Now, I thought that would have been Pulisic. If I understand why Conte, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Tuchel wanted to sit Aspelacueta at his age. Uh, he's slowing down. You don't want him in a match like this, right? Even though he is your leader and you're, you're thankful he's resigned with you uh, and not gone to, uh, to Barcelona. Uh, so uh, you're, you're glad you got Aspilicueta, but you, you realize this is a different kind of challenge with Spurs front three. So you move Reese James to, to right center back. Very logical move from Tuchel. Give him credit for that. I thought then you would be seeing um, Pulisic at right wing back where we saw him play last season a few times. No, it was it was Lou Ruben Loftus cheek a, uh, a something that absolutely shocked me when the team sheet came out and I was texting or WhatsApping with some Chelsea fan friends saying like this is crazy you know what is Tuchel doing oh uh, he's tried it you know he's he's seen him in training he likes RLC a lot and I said yeah I mean what's very obvious is Ruben Loftus cheek has had a much longer leash with Tuchel than he did with Lampard who gave him one match if you remember and then was so unimpressed yanked him off at halftime and then loaned him to Fulham the next week. Um, and that was it for, 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 the full, for the Lampard era for Loftus-Cheek. So he's played him in several different positions, but playing him at right wing back uh, worked today, Chris, but it also told me he doesn't see Pulisic in that role, even though I thought that was something that maybe he was evolving toward uh, in the second half of last season. Yeah, so it looks like it might be end, end up being either rotation or injuries, probably the best chance of Pulisic starting in this team because even in terms of all, all the players kind of stacked above above him in the pecking order uh it doesn't look good and, and you see these Volkswagen commercials about the pressures on 
uh, Pulisic and uh, the timing of those ads, unfortunately, I mean, for the World Cup, perfect. But for the, the Premier League, uh, there's no pressure right now. He's, he's sitting on the bench. How, how much pressure is there? Yeah, while there are several other Americans starting Premier League matches. So this is the thing. It's not like there's only one American in the Premier League and uh, we were riding all our hopes on him. Uh, Tyler Adams had a very good match uh, against uh, Southampton, uh, really controlling that midfield uh, up until about minute 75 or so. Uh, Brendan Aronson, another good match. Uh, Reem and uh, Reem is, I think, tremendous, great professional. Uh, Anthony Robinson has been very good. So I, uh, I, I, it's a little strange considering the number of Americans that are in the league currently. You even have an American manager. You know, I'm actually kind of surprised. NBC hasn't gone to town on Jesse March, Brendan Aronson, and Tyler Adams. I, I, I can't explain it, given their fascination with Pulisic now for four seasons, um, that they, uh, they haven't really promoted leads. I mean, I, I, I think that that's uh, maybe a huge missed opportunity for them. Or maybe they learned from whatever backlash, including from our podcast on the Pulisic thing, um, maybe they don't uh, go, go all in on, on, on Leeds United and the American angle. But... I have to say, Jesse Marsh managing uh, a a club with the history of Leeds United, to me, is more significant as an American than Christian Pulisic playing for Chelsea. That's my opinion. Maybe that's my... I'm showing my age, and I felt like coaching opportunities have been more limited for Americans than playing opportunities. Uh, And we've had guys, uh, Americans that have played at other big clubs. This is not the first time an American's played at a big club, even if NBC acted that way. But I'm actually really surprised by that, Chris. There's not as much emphasis on Leeds as I thought there'd be. Yeah, personally, I think it's more so that both of the first games have been on Peacock. Uh, no games yet on USA Network. And, and I think once we see one of those games on USA Network or NBC, um, th- then it may change. And and, th- and then we might see them go all in on uh, Jesse Marsh and, and, and the team of Americans there. The game itself, it was, um, it was interesting. I think Leeds defensively, especially in that second half, look uh, vulnerable and I think it's one of those things that uh, that's one thing I worry about them this season is, is defensively I think I think they're uh, got a lot of holes and actually in, in that Southampton squad uh, I think it was uh, Siku Mara did extre- extremely well and I, I was really really impressed by him uh, and and his uh, his pass for Southampton but but Leeds attacking wise I think they, they look strong it's just defensively they look like they have a lot of holes yeah I, I've already uh, said this on on Twitter and I'm going to repeat it on this podcast, Southampton is going to be so uneven this season because they're playing so many young players who are phenomenally talented. So what you will see in some matches is Southampton be awful for 45 minutes and you say they're not even the championship-level squad and then the next 45 look like they're a top-six team. And then I think you're going to see matches where they lose 5 or 6 nil. Uh, at, at times. You're going to see matches where they nick a victory or nick a point off of top teams because it's just young players are inconsistent. Young players uh, don't have necessarily the same levels of fitness and mental concentration as uh, players in their prime or, or, or even players that you would consider over the hill. But they do have that those flashes of talent and that fearlessness that you sometimes get managed out of you over through the years. So, And Hassan Hotel is a manager that presses high, has a, a very attacking philosophy. So I think... Um, I, I don't want to read too much into Leeds blowing the 2-0 lead. I just think this is the way Southampton's going to be all season. I don't know if they're going to stay in the Premier League. I don't know if they're going to finish 20th or they're going to finish 15th, but they're going to be wildly inconsistent. And that's uh, what I'll say about them and, and just get used to it. 
Another player I was really impressed with uh, from this past weekend was uh, Onana from uh, from Everton. And I thought he came on as a second half uh, sub in that game against Aston Villa. It looked really, really strong. Uh, even until he came on, Everton seemed to be out of the match. Uh, he comes on, makes a big difference, uh, makes some really charging runs. Uh, a very strong player, gets some good crosses in. And, and Everton... Uh, could have scored a couple of goals, a couple more goals towards the end there. So ultimately, it was Aston Villa winning uh, 2-1. But uh, anything else that stood out for you, Kartik, out, out of this game? Yeah, so Onana is a guy that I, I, I made reference to it last week on the podcast. I, I, I have renewed some of my contacts close to uh, close to Everton Football Club in, in, uh, in Liverpool. So uh, I was told that this is a guy Frank Lampard really wants. He was leaning West Ham. Um, uh, Lil was uh, doing a deal with West Ham and Lampard really wanted this guy because he sees uh, sort of a Michael Essien type player who he played next to for part of his career at Chelsea uh, in this guy and made it happen, right? And, and Everton, who were kind of cash-strapped, uh, splurged. And it's probably going to be their only splurge for this transfer window. But you can see why. Right away, first 10 minutes, you can see why. He's a guy, Roberto Martinez. I know, um, t- uh, I'm told, talk to uh, talk to uh, um, Frank Lampard about, a former Everton manager, Roberto Martinez, uh, said this is a guy he rates very highly. Uh, one other thing on this match, and this, Chris, I think is going to be a continuing conversation all season. Uh, Villa, better with Buendia than with Coutinho. And... Uh, uh, I, I I think that the two of them cancel each other out. I understand the individual brilliance of Coutinho in moments and the marketability of the player. Villa looked like a very serious club because they brought in this huge name. Uh, but Buendia, going back to his time at Norwich, gives you, I think, more consistent performances. So uh, I think if, if that change isn't made, I think Everton probably win the match, if I'm honest with you. So I, yeah. I don't know what Gerrard does going forward. Yeah, that's a good point because... Uh... In many ways, it's a blessing in disguise. He got injured, Katina comes off, and then the, the game does change, and, and Villa does look stronger uh, thereafter. So what about uh, Manchester City? I mean, they strolled to a, a, a convincing 4-0 victory against Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth, in many ways, just gave City too much space and, and time on the ball. But this Man City side and the new tactics that, that they have in play, Kartik, uh, is this, do you think, a stronger team in the Champions League this season? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, they certainly can be more direct and have a, a number nine that's making the sort of runs that you see a number nine historically make, not making the kind of uh, 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 the sort of runs that you saw Jesus or Sterling or who Foden, whoever was playing that that false nine position uh, make. I, I do think that th- there's going to be some getting used to him. Uh, there was one clear uh, passage of play where Foden had Holland uh, could have just nicely uh, squared the ball to him and had given him a tap and instead took on a shot that he missed. So um, there is some adjustment period for guys like Foden, Mares, uh, uh, Grealish, those three guys in particular uh, who have not played with a striker in a long time to play with a striker. In fact, Grealish had this at, uh, at, at Aston Villa too, his final season. They had uh, a situation for Grealish where Ollie Watkins, who's not really a number nine, right? Who could play is kind of drifts uh, in different, into different spaces. Uh, and they also had Ross Barkley that year. They were interchanging positions. So it's been, I guess, maybe since the year with Tammy Abraham uh, as the uh, on loan from Chelsea at Villa, since Grealish has played with a nine, Foden has not played with one except for Aguero in his entire career. And as I said, Morris, it's probably been since he came to City, since he left Jamie Vardy. So I, I'm seeing that 
it, this is, goes back to what you said in the in the preseason pod, Chris, that we might see some frustration out of Holland. I saw some of it yesterday when he wasn't getting the ball, when he was making those runs. And I think it's that's something Pep is going to have to sit down with uh, Foden, Mares, and, and Grealish, those three players in particular, and get them up to speed on playing with a guy like him. And, and that takes time. But yes, it probably will make City more dangerous in the Champions League uh, when we get to that stage. Yeah, we have to remember too that even uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, when he started at Manchester United and he played the first few games, uh, during that spell, you mean be- before he was a-, a mega superstar, there was frustration. There was a uh, a period of time where Sir Alex Ferguson sat down with him, you mean outside of games and at training sessions, and talked to him about his attitude, talked to him about uh, what to do, what not to do, and how to. Uh, really play as a, a team player, as a professional, to get the most out, out, out of your skill, but also um, not get so frustrated or, or not uh, be so selfish. I mean, different things like that. So it's definitely a learning curve. And, and I think uh, having Pep there you know, is a f- fantastic coach that will definitely uh, help Haaland uh, grow. Now, uh, Arsenal and Leicester, <laughs> we'll get we'll get into Nottingham Forest in a little bit, but I, I know a lot of the Leicester City fans were getting upset about all the praise given to Nottingham Forest on Sunday and feeling a little bit uh, slighted. Um, it, it's it's one of, it's the it's the big rivals, Leicester City and Nottingham Forest. Leicester City yet again, Kartik had a, uh, a topsy turvy game against uh, this time Arsenal. Yeah, there's something wrong there. I, they're starting the season very poorly. Uh, the uh, uh, they, 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 they played, I shouldn't say they started the season poorly, they played a good first half against Brentford, but then uh, all collapsed in the second half. They were very fortunate, in my opinion, to, to get a draw out of that match. Once Brentford made the tactical change that Thomas Frank made in that match, they were much better than Leicester, should have scored three or four times, in my opinion. And so they come into this match, they look very um, tentative. So the first 10, 15 minutes were kind of cagey, but then after that, Arsenal was just asserting itself and uh, the goal was was inevitable, uh, the breakthrough goal, and then uh, they score again. And every time they respond, every time Leicester get, claws claws one back, Arsenal respond within uh, within a minute or a minute and a half. And I think there's some sort of issue. And I mentioned it last week, so I, at at the risk of repeating myself, that with guys that are at the end of the line, guys that are at their maximum peak in terms of performances so they want to be sold to a quote bigger club and then guys that may be too young so they have all three buckets and they're kind of and and so that mesh may not be working quite well for them it's going to be a tough uh tough job for Brendan Rodgers uh the one thing you can say is with West Ham starting so poorly uh maybe uh, a sixth seventh place is open maybe Leicester's still in that in that conversation maybe there's another club uh, or two that maybe uh, can can pipe up and 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 uh, assert themselves in that race. But uh, if you're looking at what Leicester is trying to chase down this season, it's probably uh, teams like Newcastle, uh, uh, West Ham, maybe uh, maybe Manchester United. They haven't started worse than any of those sides other than Newcastle. So maybe mm-hmm. that's uh, a blessing. It could be getting worse, though, too, Kartik. Uh, Tielemans and uh, Wesley Fofana possibly uh, transfer moves out of Leicester, uh, going to uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, other clubs interested, too. So a lot of it depends, too, on what Leicester does if they do sell some of those players. If, if Tielemans goes to Arsenal, that's uh, they're in the title race. I'll, I'll call it right now. So that, that would be, if I'm a Premier League neutral, 
that is uh, doesn't want Arsenal to to to, to reemerge as a, as a power. I'm hoping that that move isn't made. I think that that would be absolutely a huge move. The one sort of soft weakness they might have is having a deep line playmaker in the midfield in that Arsenal team. Otherwise, I think they're. I, I said it last week. I think they're more complete actually than than City or Liverpool. They just don't have the match winners or the seasoning or the managers that those two clubs have. Um, you get Tailmans onto that team. Uh, I think it could be pretty scary. Yeah, and what a goal too by uh, Gabriel Jesus. The uh, just a a chip from a stationary position right into the far corner. Um, for me personally, my, my goal of the weekend. Uh, just incredible skill, and, and it looks like he's still on fire. Let's, let's see how long this lasts. But um, he's loving that position, that number nine position, and uh, getting you know, at this point is the first name on, on, on the team sheet. Uh, and this is something too that uh, with competition for space at City in the past, that wasn't always a definite. So I think he's he's loving life and enjoying play, playing for the Gunners and uh, playing with Martinelli, his his uh, compatriot. Martinelli might be playing himself onto the Brazilian World Cup team. So keep an eye on that. That's how well he's played these first two matches. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Brighton against Newcastle, nil-nil. Anything out of this one, Kartik? Yeah, I mean, I felt like, uh, again, Brighton, their finishing is so poor. Uh, they haven't gone out and gotten a striker. I know why, uh, why, why Graham Potter loves uh, Danny Welbeck. I love Danny Welbeck, too. Uh, and Danny Welbeck was particularly great in teams where you could play with two strikers, right? Because he wasn't the guy who was going to score goals, but he's the guy who does the the dirty work and link up. Uh, great technically, great, 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 great footwork. Uh, one of the some of the finest footwork from an English uh, attacking player I've seen actually in my life, right? Is from is from Welbeck, which is really high praise. Um, but he's not a goal scorer. He's not a finisher. Um, that's the problem. They don't have a finisher in this team. You know, there are times when McAllister or Trossard, uh, Sally Marsh, the uh, uh, Gross, of course, uh, we saw last week, can get going and get goals in bunches, but they're not guys who are going to sustain you with goals throughout the season. So that would be my observation there. Newcastle, they weathered this match, and uh, 
I, uh, I, I really think that uh, uh, in terms of the way they're building their side, they're being very, very methodical. They've got one or two targets. Apparently, they're going to still look at these next two weeks. If, they cr- if they're able to get over the line with those guys, great. If not, you know, Eddie Howe has what he has, and they're, they're going to back him and, and come back in January and, and try and pick up another piece or two. Yeah, I think Newcastle so far is probably the one team in the Premier League that's flying under the radar. We haven't really, I mean, both of the games have been on Peacock. And yes, they scored some great goals in the uh, the first weekend from, you know, Callum Wilson was one of the, the greatest goals of the weekend. But not a lot of talk about Newcastle, but that might change in the next couple of weeks with the transfer window. But now, what about Wolves against Fulham? Another nil-nil draw, but was this a bore? No, uh, in fact... Uh... Uh, Neto had a had had a, a couple ch- chances. Was it Neto? Uh, Neves, maybe. Uh, there were a couple of really good chances for Wolves in the first half. Uh, and uh, uh, again, the guys not making the late run. Or, and they don't have a and a, a really a settled striker position right now. Podence has played out uh, up front. Um, El Nuri made uh, another kind of uncharacteristic mistake uh, like he made last week against uh, Leeds, uh, but Fulham wasn't able to take advantage. Uh, Mitrovic missed a penalty. So uh, it was a, a fairly even game, pretty entertaining match. Uh, I guess a draw is a fair result, all things considered. I, I do think uh, something that I'm, I'm really uh, – interested in continuing to see as the season moves on is Marco Silva. We know he's an attack-minded manager. We know he's very dogmatic ideologically, right? We saw that at Everton. Uh, even though I, you know, I, in fact, it's just as we uh, started this broadcast, I tweeted that I, I people who, who get come at me saying, why do you like this guy? You failed at Everton. You look at where he had Everton compared to Everton now. I, I think uh, that narrative should probably have changed. But if there was one knock on, uh, on, uh, Silva, really real knock at Silva on Everton is that his teams were so attack-minded that defensively um, he wouldn't make changes. He wasn't pragmatic enough. We're seeing in these first two matches of the season at Fulham, Chris, the same thing, right? He's uh, he's not going to change. He's not going to tighten the back uh, in order to survive, at least uh, now. Uh, Fulham played great football. At times, Fulham was playing uh, the kind of football that uh, that Atalanta and, and Brighton and, and you know, the top team, Valencia, the top the fun, the fun teams around the continent were playing last last season in the championship. They were brilliant to watch at times. Uh, he's not pulling it back so far. So uh, does that mean Fulham find themselves in a relegation fight and they don't have the platform from which to see out nil-nils and one-nil results? We'll see. But uh, Fulham, a good watch so far. And they're not and they're not playing defensively at all. All right, Brentford against Manchester United, Kartik. What do you think? Uh, what could you share that hasn't been discussed already about this game? Any any additional thoughts or any any insight that may be a little bit uh, different than others? Yeah. So um, first goal, second goal for Brentford, individual errors. Um, Ronaldo loses the ball. Uh, De Gea doesn't come up with the save. Obviously, De Gea puts Ericsson in a bad position. He still makes a bad decision. Okay, those are individual errors. We get that. Brentford presses high. Uh, they're a high-pressing team under Thomas Frank. That creates the first two goals. That's 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 fair. Um, what I didn't like, the piece of analysis I have that I'm not necessarily hearing from other people, is goals three and four, to me, were complete uh, were, were signs of a, of a team and players that are either checked out, disinterested, defeated, um, not caring, uh, self-sabotage, you didn't pick your adjective. I don't think self-sabotage is fair, but maybe. Uh, that, I, 
goals three and four were 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 effectively teams quitting on uh, on dangerous situations. The defensive team, uh, and I, then and then I would say that. I would, okay. I would say the context for, for me personally, uh, goals one, two, and three were David de Gea's fault, and and, and yes, it was a combination. I mean, Ronaldo losing the ball, but one, two, and three, were, I could I could say de Gea should have done much better on but all no three of no those. One, no one's marking really marking me at the far post. Tony is he, he's got a kind of a looping header. He can play back in uh, uh, at, at the at the far post. Uh, me's at the near post. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, so I I say that's a team breakdown. Yeah, De Gea also, and the fourth goal, other than Luke Shaw, the entire team gave up. And Shaw then is put in this really awkward position by his teammates. Does he take Bueno when Bueno down and get the red card, or does he just let him score? And that's a horrible position to be in as a professional. And it's already three 0 So Shaw's probably saying, you know what? I'm the only guy uh, making the effort here. I'll just let him go. But I'm not going to catch him. The only thing I can do is take him down. Um, what a horrible position as a professional that is to be put in by the other nine guy, field players for your team. Then in the second half, there were a couple other... Uh, Brentford didn't score in the second half, but uh, Chris, there were a couple moments in the second half where the same thing happened, where there were Manchester United guys giving up on plays uh, 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 and uh, Brentford guys dribbling through them, cynical fouls, um, really guys like le- looking leggy or, or, or looking disinterested. I, I really... Felt, I think the the cultural problem, the cultural rot at that club is is beyond maybe anything that we've talked about. And uh, credit to Brentford, right? They 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 they, uh, they they created those mistakes by De Gea with a high press, or at least on the first two goals, right? Well, uh, an effective high press that uh, that forced the bad decisions from De Gea and the bad decisions from Ronaldo and Eriksson. But um, after that, you know, if you're if you're a club of any kind of stature, you're you're fighting, and Man United did not fight. Yeah, and you got to love uh, the water break and uh, Thomas Frank coming out with his tactics board. <laughs> uh, you mean to give tactics during the water break? But I think it, at this point in time, Kartik, if you're a manager from the first week, Graham Potter for Brighton, second week Thomas Frank for uh, Brentford, so on and so forth. As the weeks go by, if you're a a coach who's really tactically inclined and looks how figures figures out how to play against United. Um, you've got the edge, no matter if you're if you're a smaller team in quotation marks. I mean, if you're one of the uh, the other sixteen or the uh, the other fourteen in the league, you've got a good chance of beating this United side. And and that's for me. This first half was one of the worst performances I've seen from Manchester United. Um, They've had similar performances like that in the last few years. It's now, by the time the season wraps around, it'll be 10 years uh, since the last time they lifted a trophy. Uh, For Liverpool, it was 30 years of a drought of not winning a title. So for United fans, 10 down, 20 to go. That's quite foreseeable in terms of the way things are heading. Um, But overall, I mean, it's it's a mess, right? But what I would say, though, too, I I was disappointed with the halftime analysis by NBC Sports. And what I was looking for was some critical analysis based on, hey, this player made a mistake, he should have done better here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what we got instead was Robbie Earl and Tim Howard talking about how kind of big picture, how Manchester United is a traveling circus. And rather than pinpointing specific mistakes, and I think if it's a Gary Neville or a Jamie Carragher or Roy Keane or a Graeme Souness, I think they're a lot more analytical and critical about player performances. And yes, we know that it's a bigger problem at Manchester United, but also, like you said too, Kartik, there's individuals making mistakes 
uh, whether they're switched off or just not, who knows what they're thinking, right? But I mean, so for me personally, I, I'd like, I think that's historically speaking, I think NBC Sports, the halftime analysis for the most part has been uh, average. Um, and usually post-match is better where they have more time to think about it and get, dive a little bit deeper. But halftime, when you want that kind of that really critical, like, oh, my gosh, here's what's happening at a halftime when you're losing 4-0, we didn't get that exactly what, what I wanted. But, uh, but yeah, hats off to Brentford for doing their homework. Um, this team, I think before the season started in, in our preview, I, I said they'd have a tough time. Based on how they're playing, I think that you know, they'll, they'll be just like Brighton. They'll be uh, playing for fun. And, and you can see that, too, just in, in their performances. This is a really important thing to note about Brentford. And, and I, I'm faulting myself for not pointing it out on our preseason preview when I, I similarly said they were going to have trouble because this is the Premier League and not the championship. But in the championship, one year they lost Sayers. They got better the next year. They lost Mope the next year. They got better the next year. They lost Ali Watkins and Benarama. Think about those two guys, how good they are in the Premier League. They got better the next year and got promoted. Uh, now they lose Christian Eriksen, and they potentially are getting better. And by the way, um, they've got Damsgaard over the line. Norway, we know, uh, was able to withstand the tragedy around Eriksen at the Euros because Damsgaard's the guy who stepped in. So yep, uh, Thomas Denmark. Frank, yeah, yeah, Thomas Frank just re- replicating what Denmark did, saying, "Okay, we lost Eriksen. Let's bring in the guy." Uh, they replaced him with in Damsgaard. So I, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, Manchester United, uh, the, the way this he- is heading is going to be the story of the season. I mean, bottom of the table, right? The first time they've been bottom of the table, I think, in like about 40 years. Um, and this is going to be, I mean, this is going to be a real tough season. This is going to be a tough test for them. I would say that the level of football from most of the other clubs has risen. And uh, even in a, in a transfer window, whether they could make some uh, plays and get rid of a few players and bring a few players in, it's not going to be. It's not going to make a difference um, or a dramatic difference. But what is their transfer strategy? They've had a whole summer, right? Uh, and and they don't. They don't. They seem to be just kind of throwing things against the wall. Whereas you yep. see a very clear transfer strategy with Spurs doing business early. Uh, obviously, Liverpool and Manchester City are, are built out as clubs. They have analytics departments. You know, comparing them to Man United is like comparing a Ferrari to uh, uh, I don't know to uh, just pick a cheap car. But <laughs> um, but they 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 don't have a transfer strategy, and we're two weeks before the end of the transfer window. Every other club in the Premier League, whether they've done good business or not, whether they're going to get relegated or not, have had a strategy coming into the summer. So again, I don't know if this. This is the fault of Ten Hag coming in and just saying, ah, you know, the only players I want are old Ajax players, or if it's a greater failure at, at the macro level, which is what I tend to believe it is. And Ten Hag then comes into this to this dysfunctional situation, and because there's no planning, it's like, ah, I'll just try and take my old Ajax players. I think that's what's happened. Yeah, I think where we're going, Kartik, is uh, green and gold uh, protest marches and and a heavier push to try and get these owners out and try to see if somebody can come in and buy this club. And then again, too, there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. But you look at uh, Fenway Sports Group and the job that they've done at Anfield, um, both on on the pitch and off the pitch. You look off the pitch in terms of the, the, the redevelopments at Anfield. Um, I mean, now by the time in the next few months, they'll have uh, two sides of the stadium completely uh, redeveloped. And at the same time, Old Trafford is, 
is falling apart. I mean, it's it's uh, in much need, and it used to be one of the biggest and best um, stadiums in the country. Yeah, in fact, uh, there are people telling me that it's uh, uh, Old Trafford is now worse than some. I mean, do, do, take out of uh, the equation the size uh, is worse than some League One grounds. That's how. Uh, the place is collapsing and falling apart and it's getting worse every season as teams are either refurbishing their grounds as you mentioned uh, Liverpool is or they're moving into new grounds and you have all these newer grounds in the league now with Brentford and Brighton and West Ham they're they're all in very very new uh, new stadiums um, and basically the two, two two grounds that stand out as being uh, kind of disasters are uh, Old Trafford and Ellen Road and, and Ellen Road we now have some faith that Leeds, now that they're consolidating as a Premier League club, will be able to address that. There's no such faith that that's going to happen at Manchester United. So Nottingham Forest against West Ham United on, on Sunday morning. This is the game that we've been talking about for uh, for, for months, even last season, even when it was um, the championship playoffs and talking about the possibility of Nottingham Forest getting into the Premier League. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And then seeing a home game from City Ground in the Premier League. Wouldn't that be ecstatic? And we got it. And it was uh, it was a great game, a really, really good game. I mean, c- certainly uh, Lady Luck was on the side of Nottingham Forest, uh, Ben Rama. Uh, two shots that normally you would see go into the back of the net and then just bounce on the line and bounce back out. Um, some really good skill down the right wing with uh, Nico Williams doing a great job uh, playing up to Brennan Johnson, getting some good crosses in, getting some shots in. Uh, Lewis O'Brien, man of the match. I think that was a player that you mentioned, Kartik, um, I think last week or, or the week before. It's looking rosy at uh, City Ground. Yeah, Lewis O'Brien was... Uh possibly the player of the season last season in the championship playing for Huddersfield, not for uh, for Forrest. Uh, Forrest by him after they beat Huddersfield in, in the championship playoff final. And uh, I'm not surprised by his his performance at all. I mean, he's, he's I think, a Premier League level player. Yeah, and, and they've got more reinforcements coming in. They've got more guys coming in. And as this squad meshes and you see what Steve Cooper's trying to do, I think uh, I, I feel pretty comfortable. I don't like jumping to conclusions after two two match days. Uh, I, I really don't like to look at the table until the 10th week. Uh, 10 fixtures, 10 rounds are in the book. But um, I'm feeling confident about the pick that you and I both had that this team would be closer to mid-table than to the relegation zone. I think that they're they're coming together nicely. Yeah, I think on any other day, West Ham United would have gotten three points out of this one. I think the, the fans certainly made a difference uh, at the city grounds. And... Uh, West Ham were unlucky in this game. I thought they had their chances. They had uh, a goal to allow. They had a penalty, right? That should, should have converted. Um, and then the two shots that hit the crossbar and went down and, and off the line. Uh, as well as a goal line clearance by Nico Williams. I mean, definitely, uh, I mean, fair play to Forrest. I mean, they definitely des- deserve to get something out of this game too. But for the, for the neutral, entertaining, really, really great uh, way to start a Sunday. However, Kartik... We've been talking on this podcast for a few weeks about Muller of Kintyre and like how we were so looking forward to having Nottingham Forest fans singing this uh, this Wings song. Uh, I mean, Paul McCartney, one of his one of his uh, top songs uh, for, for, from a Wings perspective. But uh, <laughs> NBC spoke talked all over it. They were like, "You mean so it was Tim Howard and Rebecca Lowe and I think Robbie Earl talking as the." The, the scenes there of, of the fans singing the song you couldn't really hear the song and then Rebecca says okay let's let's go out now and hear the song and it and it ended right there and even throughout that morning they kept on saying like hey at halftime 
we'll be talking about and showing a, a clip from uh, the fans singing and they still didn't have it so the only way i could have the only way I, I watched it and heard the full song you know which sounded incredible was on that was on twitter sky sports otherwise uh nbc screwed up and, and i think a part of it too was just too many commercials before the game kicked off uh, you you had this. You mean basically they're trying to fit in, in as many commercials as possible. So when they go to the ground, it's almost kickoff, and then they're doing kind of the uh, the intro to the game to set the stage to hand it over to the commentator, and they just ran out of time, which is unfortunate. So hopefully they'll uh, they'll know next time to just uh, be quiet, be silent, and let let's hear the fans sing because that is a, an incredible atmosphere, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And at halftime, too, I think uh, there were too many commercials. And, yeah, they missed it at the beginning of the match. And, and by the way, I have to double-check this. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this off the cuff, but I'm going to. Anyway, I believe in the U.K., uh, Mull of Kintyre is not only Wing's biggest hit. I think it was a bigger hit than any Beatles song. I, I might be wrong about that, but I think it's actually McCartney's best-selling album in the U.K. Wow. In the U.S., uh, the Beatles, uh, the, the top Beatles-selling Beatles song was Hey Jude. That's bigger than any Wings song. But actually, in the U.K., I think Mullah Kintyre is, a bigger, is his biggest hit. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. And for a lot of Americans, too, who may not be familiar with the song, uh, to hear Forrest fans sing it, it's uh, definitely a treat. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news, and we're going to jump around a little bit in terms of some of the other leagues too. Something that came out uh, this past week in the Financial Times was an article uh, interviewing uh, Oliver Kahn, the, uh, the the legendary goalkeeper, uh, Germany and, and Bayern Munich, who's now an executive at Bayern Munich. And, and, and in the article uh, and, and in the interview, it talked about uh, Oliver Kahn saying that he feels that... Um, that the Bundesliga TV rights and commercial rights in the United States need to be much higher, much greater, uh, especially when you look at the Premier League and what they're getting for their TV rights. Uh, before you know it, uh, ESPN's deal, ESPN Plus's deal with Bundesliga will be up, up for renewal, I think, in the next year. So there's an opportunity for another broadcaster or, or ESPN Plus to pay a lot more for the Bundesliga. And the Bundesliga, I mean, Kartik, you're a fan of it. I'm a fan of it. And again, too, it comes back to the kind of initial point in, in the beginning of the podcast uh it's tough it's tough you, you mean to be able to watch all the games but there is an opportunity here for uh an increase in tv revenue however i think in many ways uh, oliver khan is misreading the situation he, he, and here's a quote too he says we need better commercialization of the bundesliga tv rights in the u.s i think this is the most important point the U.S. is a very, very interesting market where we have a lot of fans and where we as Bayern Munich see a lot of growth in the future. If you look at the valuation of the MLS uh, clubs, they have a high, a very high valuation that shows that football in the U.S. is growing. So I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. Soccer in the United States is growing. The valuations of MLS clubs are increasing. Um, however, I think that's more about uh, in terms of single entity and supply and demand than it is the popularity of the sport personally speaking um but but going back to kind of his main point which is talking about the bundesliga wanting greater tv revenue how much of a play how much of a role is bayern munich in this kartik well if bayern win the league every year by okay so something i neglected to mention last week that came up on a space i did midweek where we talked about uh the bundesliga uh 
among other things, was uh, not only does, Bar- does Bayern win the league every year, generally they're winning it between uh, by between 10 and 20 points. So it's, it's, it's the lack of competition, uh, with the exception of those few years. There was the year 18-19 where I, I insist if uh, Mar- uh, Marco Hoyes hadn't gotten injured, uh, Dortmund may have won the league. They, they ended up finishing two points back. But it's the lack of competitive title races. Uh, you can say that in Italy, Juventus was winning the title every year, but many of those years they were run really close, and then eventually they stopped winning the title. Uh, Manchester City, same thing. They're winning the title almost every year in England, but every year it's a title race, with maybe one exception. So, um, Bayern, uh, the, 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 the Bundesliga is not going to be the compelling TV product it could be in the United States if there wasn't a more vibrant title race. I hate to say that, but it's true. And then the other thing, Chris, I, I uh, come back to, which uh, uh, we I can't remember if we talked about it on this podcast or we talked about it on that space, uh, but that, that playoff, that relegation playoff, the 16 versus the th- third from Bundesliga, from the second Bundesliga, that's, um, that's making, that makes relegation a little less dramatic. Uh, in Germany. And that's another thing we know has really helped the Premier League grow its television profile and its value uh, in the United States. So the, 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 uh, the Premier League, from a television standpoint, is worth... Um, uh, I, I, can't, I can't even do the math in my head, but but uh, at least 10 times as much as the Bundesliga in this country. I, I think it's a lot more than that, actually. So the Bundesliga has a long way to go uh, in terms of just monetizing their television product. Yeah, the other thing too, so Oliver Kahn says the Premier League is a very exciting league before the season starts. I think there are four or five teams that have the chance to win the championship. In the Bundesliga at the moment, we are very dominant at Bayern Munich. But this is not a problem of Bayern Munich. This is a problem of our competitors. And, and this is this is the biggest issue I think that the Bundesliga faces, that is that most American sports fans don't want to dedicate their time to a league where it's almost predetermined almost, uh, that one team will win that league year after year after year after year. And that takes the competitive nature out of it. The Bundesliga as a whole, I'd say if you took the Bayern Munich out of the picture and put them into a Super League and then had the rest of the Bundesliga play, that league would be a lot more exciting, a lot more enticing, and a lot more, I think a lot of more Americans would be enticed to watch that game. Now, Bayern Munich is a super club that has an enormous amount of fans. However, because Bayern Munich is so dominant, it makes the U.S. Uh, TV rights less attractive. Because, I mean, if you're a fan of Bayern Munich, great. If you're not a fan of Bayern Munich or if you're a neutral, um, what's the incentive to watch that league? And, 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 and there are incentives. There's good players. It's I mean, fantastic crowds. Uh, you see a lot of players coming through the system there that uh, will go on to much greater greater things with bigger clubs. But, but Bayern Munich is, is its own problem. And for... Oliver Kahn to say this is not a problem of Bayern Munich, it's, it's a problem of the other clubs, is uh, he doesn't get it. I, I uh, agree to a large extent, but I, I've thought about this a little more during the course of the week, Chris. I partially disagree. I think uh, Borussia Dortmund is where I disagree. So I agree, like, uh, it is Bayern's problem. Leipzig, in spite of Red Bull backing, can never touch them. Uh, Leverkusen, etc. Never touch them. Dortmund have had 
the, the squad the last few years, but they've been impatient with managers. And I think the, the board at, at Dortmund have been very arrogant in thinking that they have the magic touch with transfers. They have the magic touch with young players, uh, that they're, that they are, uh, some sort of, uh, 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 incubator factory of, of football, unlike any other on the planet. So I, I would say, yes, uh, uh, it's a Bayern problem with the exception of Borussia Dortmund, who are the team that 10 of those seasons uh, has, uh, uh, six of those 10 seasons, we talk about Bayern winning the title, has finished second uh, and are the most recent team to win the Bundesliga. In fact, they won it two successive years before Bayern's 10-year run. So I would say yes about the rest of the league, but no on Dortmund. That still only makes it a two-team league, though, right? That's the problem. And there isn't anyone beyond uh, Dortmund who I think have the infrastructure to challenge Bayern long term but uh, I think that their arrogance Dortmund has gotten in the way so I, I see it kind of both ways I guess yeah for me there's two rites of passage in every single Bundesliga season there's the the first weekend where you hope that uh, Bayern Munich maybe uh, gets a tough game and, and, and loses and, and I mean that sets the stage for the season uh, and the other one is that uh, when uh, De Classico, when Bayern Munich plays Dor- Borussia Dortmund, our hopes and and, and you know, our hopes are that uh, that Borussia Dortmund will make it, give it a game and and make it competitive and and maybe uh, beat Bayern. And oftentimes by halftime, it's like four nil to, to <laughs> Bayern Munich, and we're like, what's the point? And 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 that year after year, it's. Uh, it's tough. It's and, tough to watch. And one of the it. worst, one of the se- the season I talk about B- Dortmund running them close, the uh, eighteen nineteen season. Dortmund actually went into that second Der Klassiker, the one at the Allianz, ahead of them in the table. I, I think they were two points ahead going into that match. It was four nil or five nil at halftime, and obviously Bayern then just saw off the season after that. Uh, but yeah, so that that has happened uh, repeatedly, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing about this too is that uh, the Bundesliga has the slogan "football as it's meant to be." However, I mean, it's football as it's meant to be, except for Bayern Munich. I mean, I, th- I think that's that's the issue. If if uh, if the DFB or, or some of these other clubs uh, in Germany can figure out a way to make it more fair, fair and balanced, uh, it's going to be to the benefit of Bayern Munich and to the benefit of the the German league uh, globally. Because at some point, I mean, leagues go through. Uh, kind of dips and valleys in terms of um, or peaks and valleys in terms of the popularity at some one stage in the 80s Serie R was the league the best league in the world and then you've gone through different stages where it's been other leagues but the juggernaut that is the Premier League is so far ahead of the Bundesliga uh, especially in the United States that something has to change and and that's the challenge too is that uh, Germans as a whole in terms of the way things are operated and the fans are very Stubborn, but stubborn in a good way in terms of not wanting to change things, not wanting to commercialize things. We saw even the opening game of the season, um, Bayern Munich against Eintracht Frankfurt, and they played the national anthem, the German national anthem, right before the game started uh, at the Frankfurt Stadium, and the entire stadium was booing it. <laughs> you couldn't miss it. And, that, and that's because they, they have, I mean, they believe that, I mean, this is a club game. This should not be, it's got nothing to do with the national team, nothing to do with the country. This is a club game. This is Frank uh, Eintracht against uh, Bayern. And, I mean, so Germans, and they're one of the first ones to protest if, if something is feels to be overly co- commercialized or feels to change the game. However, these, the, I think there needs to be some flexibility on that side because otherwise they're going to get left behind year after year after year. So two more things to Will Fast Kartik is that uh, 
The Dutch Eredivisie rights are still up for grabs. Uh, ESPN's rights with that league uh, ended last season. Uh, speaking of uh, Ten Hag and Ajax, uh, however, um, I understand that uh, talks are continuing, and uh, hopefully, a deal will be signed. If not with ESPN Plus, hopefully with somebody else in the near future. Um, it's frustrating for the Dutch fans or fans of Dutch uh, clubs, but hopefully a deal will be signed soon. So, so don't cancel your ESPN subscriptions quite yet. Also, other good news uh, for ESPN Plus is that um, they've renewed the rights to the English Football League, which includes the Championship, uh, League Cup, League One, League Two, and we'll have more games this year than last year, as well as the DFB Pokal, the German Cup. And uh, Copa del Rey, um, which is the, the Spanish Cup competition. So all those will be on ESPN Plus. And, and hopefully the Dutch Eredivisie rights, hopefully those will be signed in the near future. I think a lot of the, the friction there is that the Dutch league themselves uh, holding tight, wanting to get more money. So that, that seems to be kind of the issue there. All right, let's move on to list of mailbag. Uh, first up is Chris. He says, I'm really liking the new format of the pod as well as the season previews for each league. As someone who watches Major League Soccer, in addition to the European leagues, I would like to see you guys do a similar preview before the start of the next MLS season in February, as I am, as I am finding it difficult to find a podcast on MLS that, goes, that, that does a good job of analyzing each game and club. I have a question about Peter Drury. With him being, being on NBC, does this mean that he's done as a commentator for CBS's Champions League coverage? Or does he work for both networks? Keep up the great work. Nakartik, I haven't heard anything. Uh, we will find out in the next few weeks. I know for last season on CBS's coverage of the Champions League, uh, Peter was basically in slot number two. Slot number one was uh, Clive Tilsley. And we saw Clive Tilsley do the uh, UEFA Super Cup final as a commentator with Rob Green. We will find out in the next few weeks if Peter Drury is still doing uh, work for CBS. I mean, really, at the end of the day, if it's okay with NBC Sports, you um, I mean I'm sure it's fine for Peter Drury to do those midweek games. There's no overlap, or very little overlap with the Premier League. You um, I mean it's extremely rare to have Premier League games on at the same time as Champions League, unless there's a fixture con- congestion like we had last season. I think for one or two dates. But uh, hopefully NBC Sports will give him the opportunity and give him the green light to go ahead and continue working with CBS Sports. However, we'll have to wait and see. Ryan says, you guys don't talk about the Scottish Premiership much. How do you think that's looking? One thing I don't like in the Scottish Premier League is a lot of the grounds have synthetic turf instead of natural grass. Why is that? That This is a game that should be played on natural grass. Is there any clubs that could threaten Celtic or and Rangers in the Scottish Premiership? How do you think Celtic and Rangers would do if they played in the Premier League? So a bunch of questions there. Um, in terms of the the synthetic turf, a lot of it is due to the weather conditions in Scotland. Uh, if anyone's gone to Scotland, even in the summertime, I've gone to I mean, Edinburgh, uh, Inverness, uh, Glasgow, I mean, in the summertime, it could be, I mean, like, like, like this past weekend, 90 degrees or uh, in London, and you get up to Scotland, and it's like, it's windy, it's rainy, and it's, I don't know, 45 degrees or something like that in the summertime. Uh, maybe that's extreme, but, but anyone who's gone to Scotland knows how much cold <laughs> is there. Um, and, and it also gets a ton more rain. So a lot of the, the, the actual um, pitches especially at the uh, kind of the clubs lower down in the tiers have the synthetic turf because it's more economical to do that 
rather than to be having a full-time groundsman continually trying to patch the, the pitch together to make it workable for, for the next game. In the past, there would have been a lot, a lot of postponed matches with the synthetic turf. In this case, it makes sense, I think, for some of the smaller clubs that don't have a lot of finances. Um, as far as the Celtic and Rangers in the Premier League, I, I don't see that ever happening. And as far as competitiveness in the Scottish Premiership, I think it's Celtic and Rangers all the way every time. I, I don't see any changes there, Kartik. Do you do you agree or disagree on that? No, I totally agree on, on that. And I don't think uh, either team would be particularly competitive in the Premier League. Uh, would they be competitive in the championship? Uh, I guess Rangers has done well in Europe recently, so maybe. I mean, I, I personally had, have said that uh, both uh, had said until recent years Celtic and Rangers were both uh uh, struggle in the championship as well, but maybe that's my own uh, bias of, of a league I watch more in the championship. But uh, I, yeah. I think they would definitely both struggle in the Premier League. Yeah, and from time to time, I mean, we don't talk about it a lot, but we do, uh, from time to time, I'll tune in, especially some of the early morning games. I'll tune in sometimes to watch uh, a Scottish Premiership match, uh, particularly on on Fridays. I think sometimes they have Scottish Championship games on uh, Paramount Plus and uh, Sometimes it's fun to watch. It, it's different to see kind of a old school type of game. You mean just, uh, you mean it's enjoyable. I mean, so moving on, uh, Levi says, um, this has been my first year diving in as a soccer fan, and I absolutely love it. The emotions, drama and variety of leagues and play drew me in. What sealed the deal for me was watching Leeds United and when Eagles fly on Amazon Prime. I am now a huge Premier League and Champions League fan. I've chosen Leeds United and Sunderland as my teams to watch. Are there any shows like this that you would recommend for La Liga, Serie A or Bundesliga that would give me a better understanding of the history and teams to capture my interest? Let me let me mention when Eagles fly. I believe he's talking about the Crystal Palace documentary on Prime. That was really well done because what they did is they filmed it in 2012 or 2013 when Dougie Friedman was the manager, and then that that season in the championship, and then uh, came back, and then Ian Holloway taking over, and then came back five or six years later and analyzed it with some perspective. And then talked about Palace now, or, or five or six years later, so I guess 2018, 2019. Uh, so I thought it was just unique and brilliant in that in that way, and it's one of the few club documentaries done recently that's held my attention. Unfortunately, I'm not sure you're going to find a documentary like that about any other league or any other club. That was just really u- a unique way the filmmakers did it. Yeah, Sunderland Till I Die, uh, Levi, you probably have seen before Netflix if you haven't checked that out. But as far as La Liga, Serie A or the Bundesliga, I can't think of anything. I mean, I'm sure there's something. I mean, there are documentaries about each of those. And there's I know a good that, Eintracht. Was it a oh, good yeah. Eintracht documentary on, on Prime? Is it Prime? Mm. I, it was a few years ago, though. It's, it's dated now. It was when Nico Kovac was their manager. Whatever, okay. Whatever that was, 2017 or so. But there was a good one. I'm trying. I, maybe it was not Prime. Maybe it was Netflix. It was one or the other. Yeah, but that's a good point though too. I mean, La Liga, Serie A, and Bundesliga. I mean, but for you and I, I mean, we've seen documentaries. I mean, there's there's some Juventus documentaries. I think on Netflix. Um, but as a whole, and, and there there have been documentaries on La Liga, Serie A, and Bundesliga clubs. But they don't stick out. They don't stand out in our memory. And, and that's part of the issue. And I think it's one of those things that if you're watching Amazon Prime or Netflix, 
uh, and you're looking through the documentaries that are available. Not all of them are good, trust me. <laughs> some, are, some are really good. But um, La Liga, Serie A, and Bundesliga, there's not much I can think of. I mean, it's. Um, this, I'm sure there's a Bayern Munich documentary, but uh, really for me, it'd be great to have something that's more of a independent uh, documentary that goes into Spain, that goes into some of these smaller clubs and, and finds out the stories about the rich history and, and why the clubs are, have got some unique nicknames and, and the cultures around uh, Sevilla versus uh, other cities in Spain. And I'm sure if La Liga executives are listening to this right now, which I know they do, they're probably shouting at me going, Chris, how, what about this documentary? What about that documentary? But for me, as a hardcore soccer fan, as you are, Kartik, maybe listeners too, maybe it's the same thing. I just can't think of any. And, and that's not good. That's something that, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of documentaries on Barcelona. Part of the issue is there's so many documentaries, there aren't that many good ones. And that's why they don't stand out as much because it's just another one that's uh, oftentimes from the club itself where it's not being completely open and transparent uh, and it's only telling you what it wants to tell you, which, I, I, which is, for me, a complete turnoff. I want to get the real grit about the story, about the club or the league or, or the city, whatever it may be. Jusinho says, uh, a tip for Kartik about Peacock. The Peacock app in Chromecast automatic, automatically goes to the next match with a 10-second alert. So... Not as, ma- not as many games on Peacock this past weekend, but um, I'm still finding, I think I found, no, no, maybe not. But the first weekend, yeah, definitely it kind of auto, after a while it w- went on to the next uh, stream without you having to exit out and go back in. Last but not least, uh, JP talks about the, uh, the rights to the UEFA Champions League, which are up for bid uh, for next year onwards. And this is a race between Apple and Amazon. Uh, JP says, please, no Amazon for, for Champions League. Staying with CBS and Paramount Plus is uh, nice for continu- uh, c- continuity. Uh, would effectively be 10 and a half years for them with a provider who's proven they do a good job and fans are already c- uh, comfortable with it. Going for every last dollar is not always the smartest. EPL was right to stick with NBC for that very reason. Which is a good point because, uh, you mean, in your reporting, Kartik, is, you mean, we found out that um, the NBC, uh, for the rights to the Premier League, the renewal, had bigger rights offers from, from other broadcasters, but they decided to go back to a comfortable situation with NBC Sports, and, and NBC Sports is paying a lot more than they did the, the time before, but does give that continuity. If you ask any soccer fan in the United States, where can I watch the Premier League, they'll say... USA, NBC, or Peacock. It's easy. Uh, just as with Apple TV deal starting next year, MLS, yeah, it's on Apple TV. It's easy. With the Champions League, if it does go to Amazon, that's a whole new ball game because that's a whole new uh, broadcaster that's never broadcasted uh, soccer in the United States before. Uh, and there's going to be there's going to be a growing curve, and not everybody has Amazon Prime. Although, at this stage, I think everyone should have. Oh, no, no, no. no I, I mean, I use it a lot. Even my family uses it a lot. But uh, what do you think, Kartik? What, what's, what's best for soccer? Stay with CBS Sports or uh, go to Amazon? Stay f- with CBS Sports uh, for the same reason you articulated about NBC. And my reporting indicates the Premier League wanted to get a certain dollar amount 
for the rights in the U.S. And once they cleared that dollar amount, once the other bidders pushed that amount up, they were inclined to stay with NBC Sports for that very reason. Continuity, established uh, profile around the product, accessibility. Although I guess maybe Champions League on CBS is not as established as Premier League on NBC was. But it feels like maybe they're a season away from being there. But we're, this decision is going to be made before the end of this season, unfortunately. But I, my, my, uh, my preference would be for them to stick, if I'm in their position, would be for them to stick with CBS. Yeah, and it would be a six-year deal. Uh, whether it's Amazon or, or CBS Sports uh, getting the rights to it. Uh, I think a, a big part of the question, too, is going into this UEFA Champions League in the next few weeks, once the uh, the group stage starts, they'll be here before you know it, is does CBS Sports continue with their London studio and with the talent that they have? I mean, Jamie Carragher, uh, Mika Richards, uh, Thierry Henry, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so you've got top-level talent. That I'm sure is costing a lot of money. Having a studio in London makes it uh, the reason that they did it originally was because of COVID. Uh, now they don't necessarily have to do it that way. They could have a, a US-based studio, but then then how does that affect their coverage? And, and so we, we shall see too in the in coming weeks um, what's happening with that because that makes a big difference in terms of does CBS want to go ahead and uh, put put in another great effort, another great season, spending a lot of money on the Champions League. Or will they cut back? Part, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they've made the decisions by now, but um, yeah, there's still a question mark about whether they'll, they'll have the rights in the future. So, all right. All right, Kartik. So we covered a lot of ground this episode, uh, talked about a lot of different leagues from around the world. But listeners, if you do have any questions, feedback, observations, um, rants or raves, let us know. We'd love to read those out on air. You can read. Uh, you can send them by email to web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as on Facebook which is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and uh, Twitter, the Twitter address is at worldsoccertalk of course you can also also post those uh, comments on the website worldsoccertalk.com in the podcast thread and also we have a new way for you to get involved in the listener mailbag you can call and leave us a voicemail and we'll play that in a future episode uh, to leave an audio uh, listener comment for us uh, to play in the mailbag, uh, simply call US 561-247-4625 and then just leave a voicemail and uh, we'll include that in a future episode. All right, Kartik, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? I know there's a lot going on in the, in the world and, and uh, whether it's Twitter spaces, politics, soccer, I mean, a lot of great insight, but where can they find you? Uh, KKFLA737, and uh, a, a lot of transfer news, uh, largely analysis, but there's some things that I'm kind of on top of uh, transfer-wise. So next two weeks, you, it might be kind of transfer-heavy more than everything else. Uh, KKFLA737. Yeah, and then last week we had the uh, the season previews for Serie A and La Liga. And then coming up this week, we have an interview with uh, Telemundo Deportes' uh, lead commentator for the World Cup, Andres Cantor. Uh, and Andres will be talking about uh, Telemundo's uh, announcement in regards to the people that they're hiring for the, the World Cup coverage, as far as the studio experts and talent, as well as uh, his thoughts and analysis about uh, the upcoming World Cup. So lots to look forward to. And then we'll be back the following uh, week. And Kartik, uh, heading into an interesting week 
I'm sure there's going to be actually this week we got uh, UEFA Champions League uh, qualifier matches. Uh, speaking of uh, the Scottish Premiership, we got uh, Rangers against PSV in the first leg, and then so whoever wins that game over the two legs will qualify for the group stage. So we'll see if Rangers has what it takes and if uh, to to get into the tournament uh, group stage along with uh, Celtic, who have already qualified, as well as a ton of other matches from around the world. But uh, what are you going to do, and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 